Well, as long as I can remember, I've watched my parents and my grandparents give, and even further generations than that, as you've seen. Um, so I grew up with giving just all around me when I was seven. We did the Crown Financial Program for kids. Um, so we were spit, splitting our allowance into giving, saving, and spending. And we would always get to decide where we got to give our money. And that was always really exciting to talk through with my dad. Um, and then we, if we would go out to eat, we were, we were able to get Sprite or water. And if we got water, my dad would give that money that he would have spent on a Sprite away. Sometimes I, I got Sprite, though, got to be honest. <laughs> but whether it was choosing to give money that it would have cost for a soda at Chick-fil-A or pledging money at our church, um, my parents exposed me to giving early on. And I'd like to say that they exposed me to giving and helped me understand the concept of giving before I even understood the concept of money. In fourth grade, at the age of 10, I went on a trip with my dad, and I was sitting safely by his side in a taxi as we drove from the Mumbai airport to our hotel. As I looked out the car window, I saw a toddler on the street. She was on the sidewalk, and she was covered with a newspaper. And that's all she had. There was no attendant mother standing over her, no protective father keeping watch. It was just her just by herself and um, returning to the safety of my home on Lookout Mountain became the hardest part of traveling. I returned feeling depressed, upset, and hopeless. I was not prepared for what I, was, I had seen. My dad promised God that he would take us on two trips every year. So since then I've been over to I've been, over, been to over 20 different countries, um, and I didn't know how to process everything that I was seeing. A lot of these countries were third world countries, and we were seeing things that um, were beyond anything that my peers had seen. Before many of the trips, I had prayed that God would open my eyes, and I was not prepared um, for it, the suffering I saw and the guilt I would feel because of that. I began to tell my parents my struggle with what I had seen, and one of the things my dad realized was that I needed more time to process. I was going back home to school and surrounded by friends who understood little of what um, I had seen. Well, he went straight into work getting to talk with all of these different ministries um, that we had seen at work in these countries. So through processing with my dad, I was able to see the hope for God's promise to restore all things. The truth is constantly setting me free from the suffering and the pain, the depression that I felt because of that. In addition to dealing with all of this, in the eighth grade, I made a visit to the ER one night, and that led to a long road of chronic Lyme disease. I started to experience pain every hour of every day. Over the next few months, the pain spread from my head throughout my entire body. Some days I couldn't even get out of bed. I was admitted to the hospital where they ran every test imaginable and everything came back negative. When the pain first began, I thought I could handle it. 
After all, I was young and strong, but as the weeks dragged into months, my body began to weaken and my pain just began to increase. My anger began to build as I saw the weakness of my body. The last thing I wanted was for God's, God's strength to be made perfect in my weakness. As you can imagine, my prayers didn't sound very pretty at this point. Slowly, slowly, my pride began to fall away. In the end, I realized that I could do nothing by myself. I came to a point where I told God if he wanted to do something with my life, he could, but I had given up trying to handle it. I wasn't in control anymore. I'm not sure how he does it, but through all of my angry prayers, he continues to bring me closer to him. One experience God used to restore our relationship was my family's decision to start the adoption process. At every orphanage I have visited, my sister and I would come up to my dad and we would bring kids, we would holding like sometimes two or three at a time, and be like, Dad, can we please take them home? Like, we can buy a one-way ticket. I got the money in my bank account. And he would be like, no, 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 can't do that. Um, and then we would come back home and it wouldn't stop there. So we would write letters, we would talk about it all the time. My sister would send him happy adoption day cards. <laughs> and so after four years of pleading, they gave us our Christmas present in 2005 and that was to start the adoption process. I've never understood the concept of being adopted into God's family until we had Lily. This is the part where I'm really going to get checked up. <laughs> She's not an extra part of our family. She's not an extension. She is family. There's no difference in the way I look at her and the way I look at all my other adopted siblings, at all my other biological siblings. It was then that I realized that God doesn't look at me any different. He looks at me as not an addition to his family, but a child who is always meant to be there. Since Lily's adoption in 2007, we have adopted Lucy and are now in the process of adopting Bella, who will come in October. About two days after we came home um, with Lucy in August, we planned on going to visit our farm. My dad came up to Lucy and said, Lucy, did you know you have a farm? You have horses and a lake. It's going to be so much fun. As I listened to my dad tell Lucy all about her farm, I could not help but think of how excited God gets when we're adopted into his family. It's like he's saying, I cannot wait to show you what I have for you. Everything I have is yours. When Lucy became a part of our family, everything that we had became hers. She did nothing to, des to deserve what she got. It was freely given to her. My adopted sisters were completely helpless. They had nothing and they, have no they had no way of saving themselves. There was nothing they could do to get them out of the situation that they were in. And it was only by the generosity of Christ through my parents that they received what they have now. 
God showed me that the same is true for me and all of my, the rest of my family. We did nothing to deserve what we had. All three of my sisters have physical special needs that require a lot of time and resources that many would be reluctant to give. But in the past six years, I've experienced the greatest picture of generosity. My parents give everything. My dad gives resources and attention that he could be spending on so many other things. And my mom gives, sorry, my mom gives time and energy that she doesn't even know she has. Plenty of well-meaning people were concerned about how much my parents were giving, but God knew that Rowley Shaw, Wu Tang Dong, and Jay, sorry, Jay Wen needed a family that would respond to the call of generosity. I give glory to Christ because I am blessed beyond all measure to get to take part in the work He is doing to restore brokenness in the world through my family. I've seen my sister go from a malnourished 17-month-old with club feet and double hip dysplasia to a firecracker of a 7-year-old racing down the mountain on skis. And I've seen Lucy go from speaking only a few Mandarin words to singing Jesus Loves Me. I realize that my parents received the greatest return of all. They invested 100% in eight little lives and received life to the fullest. Today I'm a senior nursing major at Stanford University, and I've had the opportunity to continue to relate to my dad through generosity. But I don't have a, to adopt a child to do this. A couple of years ago, my dad and his friend Brad Formsma started texting each other their giving stories. They would text, I like bike if they bought a bike, or I like jacket if they bought a jacket. And they let me in on the fun too. I was walking in a cold day in early December when a lady behind me says, hey, I'm hungry. And I didn't hear it at first, but then she said it again a little louder this time, and I turned around and saw her. It was a woman in ragged clothes, and she was sitting on this bench, when she realized she had gotten my attention, she said, hey, I need some money. I'm really hungry. I said, I'm sorry. I don't have any change with me. I don't have any cash. And she says, okay, and started to turn away. And as I turned back to my car, I saw a Burger King sign across the road. And so I turned back around, and I said, can I get you something from Burger King? And she said, a strawberry milkshake. And I almost laughed because it was 30 degrees outside. It's one of the coldest days in Birmingham. And I asked her if I could order her a hamburger and french fries, too, and she agreed. Um, so when I went to get her order, I came back, and I handed her the food. And she said, thank you so much. People just turn around, and they never look at me. They always ignore me. She said, all I need is $16 for a photo ID. You can't do nothing without a photo ID. And I said, I'm sorry, I wish I had some cash on me, but can I get your name so I can pray for you 
that you'll be able to get your ID. She replied, Mary, that's one thing. God never turns away from me. He always is with me. A hurting world and chronic physical pain are just are not just things of my past, but things I deal with daily. The anger and resentment that I felt toward God creeps up at times, but now I have found a resting place in him. This place is not devoid of pain, but in the midst of pain, I am able to have peace because he has overcome the world. Through adoption, giving, and nursing, I now have eyes to see how I get to take part in his plan for the restoration of the world. There's one more story that I'd like to share with you, but it was actually filmed as part of the I Like Giving campaign, so it'd be easier to show you than tell you. <laughs> 